Hello, this is Pastor Pete Beck III with LifeNet in Burlington, North Carolina. Welcome to today's podcast, which is entitled, Why Sin Management is a Dead End. Anyone who seriously seeks the Lord understands that separating ourselves from that which defiles the heart, mind, and spirit is an important part of the journey. Jesus told us as much. Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Once we determine to pursue holiness, it begs the question, what is it exactly? Through the centuries, Christians have wrestled with what it means to be holy, consecrated, pure in heart, or set apart. What does it look like? How do we achieve it? Ideas about holiness can be broken into two main subcategories, separation from and consecration to. The separate from position has a long history. The Judaism of Jesus' day largely focused on what not to do, foods to avoid, people and things not to touch, labor on the Sabbath that was prohibited and sins not to commit. Surprisingly, and provoking much anger among the Jewish leaders, Jesus emphasized that what goes on inside a person is more important than externals. He taught that the foods we eat and ritual hand washing, etc., do not affect our relationship with God. Matthew 15, 15 through 20 reads, Then Peter said to Jesus, Explain to us the parable that says people are not defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Here Jesus highlighted separation from that which breaks our communion with God, which is an important part of holiness. We are unable to properly serve two masters. Being holy means we must leave behind that which detracts from our relationship with God and pursue that which enhances it. Jesus illustrated and taught what it means to be consecrated to God and His will. That is the only explanation of why He left heaven to come to earth in order to die for His enemies as God's sacrificial lamb. Jesus certainly did not have any sin from which to separate Himself. His challenge was of the positive or the proactive sort, consecrating himself to God's will, no matter what the personal cost. During a particularly dark time in the history of the West, 
the monastic movement was a reaction to societies and the organized church's corruption. Adherence to the holiness from a philosophy fled from the world to pursue their version of contemplative holiness in isolation. On the positive side, God used the monastic movement to preserve much of what was in danger of being lost. But the downside was that it was built upon a purely defenseless, defensive fortress mentality. Anytime the church fortresses up, the Great Commission recedes to the bottom of the priority list. Thankfully, there were exceptions to the rule. Some orders were quite evangelistic. Going further down history's road, members of the Methodist Holy Clubs, who were definitely evangelistic, were committed to asking one another rigorous questions that probed into what sins its members had struggled with during the week. On the surface, this sounds like a very aggressive way to promote holiness through accountability. But I don't recall Jesus ever doing this with his disciples, do you? Although this can be a good thing, it is decidedly focused on separation from, not consecration to. And I find nothing in the Gospels and Acts to indicate it was a common practice in the early church. Just to be clear, holiness viewed as separation from sin and the sinful world system is certainly a valid biblical way to look at things. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Serious followers of Christ realize that Jesus holds his followers to a high standard of righteous living, one which only the Holy Spirit can achieve in and through us. However, this same Paul knew that focusing on separation from sin and all that defiles people lends itself to the bondage of becoming overly sin-conscious. Instead of victorious and joyful living by grace, it tends to promote that which some have called a joyless sort of sin management and an isolated church. This is where some groups go off the rails with all sorts of lists of things that are forbidden. Focusing on managing our sin will likely lead us into the gloom of despair, the coldness of cynicism, or nauseating hypocrisy, any of which demoralizes God's people and repulses those whom we have been commissioned to reach with the gospel. To reinforce this point, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 21, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. 
I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. That's from the New Living Translation. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt and no longer interested. If our version of living for Christ is built around a quest to manage our sin, we likely will have little motivation to share this so-called good news with others in order to invite them to join us in our miserable struggle. People on the outside looking at our misguided way of pursuing Christ will likely decide that they're simply not interested. Legalistic sin management finds its cure in receiving what Jesus already accomplished for us. There is only one perfect person who ever lived. His name is Jesus. He served his father and our father too now with perfect joyful obedience. His life was not a struggle to obey his father. Jesus' heart is reflected in these words written by the psalmist. Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, when then I said, Look, I have come, as it is written about me in the scriptures, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. It's from the New Living Translation. As the second Adam and the progenitor of the reset of humanity, Jesus lived the way God originally intended, in complete reliance upon, partnership with, and obedience to the creator, sustainer of the universe. He earned a glorious reward for his obedient life and sacrificial death. In so doing, our Lord paid the price for our sins and mistakes, our horrible failures at life the way God intended. When Jesus rose again victoriously, he freely provided for us his perfect standing in relationship with God, which is based on his already having lived a perfect life, thus ending forever our need to strive for sinless, mistake-free living. The Bible calls this justification. Through faith in Christ, we have been given a right standing with God. We are perfect and without fault in His sight. Romans 5, 1 and 2. If we lose sight of this, we descend into a graceless kind of living that is based on our own vain attempts to make ourselves holy. It's not going to happen. One big secret to victorious living is focusing every day on what Jesus did for us and who he is for us and in us. A great spiritual truth is that we are transformed into the image of what or whom upon which we focus our attention. 2 Corinthians 3, 16-18 says, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him 
as we are changed into His glorious image. We were never intended to focus upon what is wrong with us in a misguided attempt to perfect ourselves. All that does is strengthen what is wrong. 1 Corinthians 15.56 says the strength of sin is the law. God wants us to worshipfully focus on our Savior and Lord, trusting in His finished work, His grace, and the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out into His likeness as we consecrate ourselves to Him and His mission. Such a focus will move us from sin consciousness to God consciousness. It will move us from sin avoidance to the pursuit of God. It will produce an inner joy that is contagious and set the stage for an outward focus upon what is important to God. Have you ever wrestled with these words from Jesus? But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5.48 We have already seen that he did not intend for us to become self-absorbed sin managers. His burden is easy, not the heavy weight of legalism. Matthew 11.28-30 What then did Jesus mean when he told his followers to be perfect? The context of this saying was a teaching on loving our enemies. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. This teaching strikes a fatal blow at the fortress mentality. I might reword what Jesus said for my purposes. If we only want to love and hang around other Christians, how do we reflect God's love? Our English word perfect comes from the Greek word teleos, which literally means having reached its end or complete. In other words, maturity. We can think of this kind of perfection as fruit that is ripened and come to maturity. Such fruit is ready to be eaten and reproduce itself. When we are ripe or mature in the spirit, we are ready for the master's use and attractive to those who are open to the gospel. We are capable of reproducing ourselves in new disciples, thus fulfilling the Great Commission. The kind of perfection of holiness that God wants from us can be summarized as a coming into a maturity of love, which is the result of God's Spirit transforming our lives. Pursuing love is even more challenging than trying to manage our sin, but without demoralizing us. Pursuing love is other-focused, outward-looking, and God-glorifying. It motivates us to venture out of our Christian church fortresses into the world. Holiness is a deep inner call from the Holy Spirit drawing us toward glorifying God through expressing His loving heart to the people of the world. Listen to the great shepherd's heart. I read from Matthew 9, 36-38. 
When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Love is what God gave Jesus eyes to see people in their true condition. Love is what propelled him out of the comforts and glories of heaven into this sin-wracked world to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10 Love will open our eyes to the true condition of those around us. It will lead us to prioritize seeking first God's kingdom and righteousness. It will prod us out of our lethargy to go after harassed and helpless people and spiritual orphans, many of whom live in our own neighborhoods. Jesus specifically asked us to pray for more laborers to be sent into the harvest. He did not ask us to pray for more intercessors, leaders, teachers, or worshipers, as important as these ministries are. He commanded us to ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up people with a shepherd's heart who will leave the comforts of home to do the work of evangelists and disciple-makers in their neighborhoods, cities, and even the remotest parts of the earth. This is a big part of what it means to be consecrated to the gospel and to the Lord. Are you willing to join Jesus in this prayer? Are you willing to be the answer? May we become so in love with Jesus and so separated or consecrated to the gospel that everything else comes up a distant second place in our hearts. This is the true meaning of holiness. You may wish to pray with me. Lord, forgive us and deliver us from the apathy and lukewarmness of casual, comfortable Christianity. Infuse and overwhelm us with your love for the lost, people who still have no shepherd. Prod and propel us out of our cozy cocoons into the uncomfortableness of sharing the good news with neighbors, co-workers, and even strangers. Amen.